HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com slash hrn. This week on Meet and 3, we're turning an eye to food at its trickiest, from imitation olive oil to the pretensions of 3D printers. We were just doing like a birthday party for one of the employees and we printed a steak just for fun. You know, a grape Jolly Rancher isn't going to satisfy your craving for, for grapes. So, I mean, in a sense, it kind of multiplies the, the sensory qualities that we can love in the world. So basically you culture the cell, in a bioreactor, it grows, and then ultimately at the end, you come out with a piece of meat. Tune in to Meat and Three, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Buenos dias. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. I'm your host, Aaron Sanchez, alongside my beautiful mother, Sarela Martinez. And we are extremely ecstatic today to, to invite an old friend, I mean, meaning a dear friend. I don't like to say the word old because yeah, you never stop becoming a friend and someone that you admire. Um, the topic of today is going to be Mexican cheeses. And we thought who else to bring in but one of our esteemed, esteemed colleagues and friends who has been dedicated her life to... American cheese making uh, with a strong influence is obviously on Mexican cheeses. She's a cookbook author and an entrepreneur. Of course, Paula Lambert we're talking about here. She founded Mozzarella Company in 1982 in Dallas. Uh, she's one of the first uh, artisanal cheese makers in the United States. Uh, she's developed over 30 artisanal cheeses and, and won hundreds of awards, as you can imagine. She and my mom have something in common as well. They were both uh, selected as James Beard's Who's Who in Food and Beverage in America. Uh, so they, sh they share that great honor. Um, of course, she's the author of the Cheese Lovers Cookbook and Guide, that she, which was published in 2000, uh, Glorious Cheese, 2007, the Cheese Lovers Cookbook and Guide. Uh, so you can imagine that she's been there, done that. She's dedicated her life to promoting Mex uh, cheeses and Mexican cheeses at that. She has a really cool new project right now that she's really excited about. It's a new company called Viaje Deliciose. Deliciose, and uh, where she's taking food lovers to Italy to explore the culture and cuisine and the countryside in depth. And 
just before I, we get started here, she's also the creator of one of my favorite things in the face of the earth, which is Oja Santa wrap cheese. Okay? And she is the one that put it on the map. Oja Santa grows wild in Mexico and Texas. She took it upon herself to be a trailblazer in wrapping this beautiful cheese with this wonderful aromatic anise-flavored uh, herb. Uh, so we got to give you enough props. So anyway, welcome, Paula. We're excited to have you. Thank you. Buenos dias. <laughs> Buenos dias. <laughs> so tell us about that cheese, that Oja Santa cheese. Well, um, I had been near Veracruz that Zarella knows so well, and uh, a friend had been, had cooked chicken and fish down in a pit in the ground wrapped with Oja Santa leaves, and the flavor captivated me, and it I don't know. I mean, I just wanted to wrap a cheese with it, and I chose a little goat cheese, and uh, we'd been doing it for maybe 20 or 25 years, and the flavor of the Oja Santa leaf permeates the cheese so you it, it you can either eat the cheese wrapped with the leaf or unwrapped and it has this captivating mystical flavor i just love it and i'm glad you like it so much around well you know there's a place i i don't know if it's in mexico or in panama that is a fish uh, farm and they feed the fish only oca santa oh really yes yeah, so it comes out totally aromatic well, Zarella, don't they make a fabulous mole with Oja Santa in Veracruz or Oaxaca? Yeah, moles and, and uh, chileatoles and all kinds of soups and sauces with mostly mole verde or chileatole verde, just adding the green. It's very big in uh, Veracruz and Oaxaca. But you know what I like to do for appetizers? I like to t- take little bocconcini of mozzarella and make an hoja santa puree. Oh, that's delicious. And, and marinate them, and it's fantastic. Great. I love that. And that's one of my favorite dishes that you do, a little botana, a little appetizer, Mom. Fantastic. People seem to love that. Yeah. Now, Paula, talk to us a little bit about what the inspiration was behind Mozzarella Company. Why, what did you feel that there was the marketplace was missing at that time when you started your company in 82 as far as the artisanal cheese movement, why you gravitated towards Mexican cheeses, et cetera? Well, first of all, uh, I didn't know anything about cheesemaking when I started. I just wanted to have a company that involved Italy and food because I love to cook. And I came up with the idea of making fresh mozzarella Truthfully, no one had ever heard of fresh mozzarella in Texas. Uh, they didn't know what an ensalada caprese was. When I started making mascarpone, no one had heard of tiramisu. I mean, this is years ago. And um, I started my company to make these Italian cheeses that I loved. I couldn't find a market for the cheese because it was unknown. And so I went to restaurants and began selling to the chefs who use my cheeses. And that was how I promoted them. And I made the cheese myself, delivered the cheese myself. I loved it. I gravitated to Mexican cheeses because of the proximity of Texas to Mexico. And so many of the restaurant workers uh, were influencing the chefs with the Mexican products that were virtually unknown at that time. And people like Stephen Piles and Dean Faring and Robert Del Grande were incorporating these flavors and foods and ingredients that their workers introduced them to into their 
own cuisine. And they created this type of cuisine that lives on till today called Southwestern cuisine. Mark Miller, lots of people, John Sedler, people you know around. Stephen Piles, of course, all the champions of, of the great Texas food, um, as well as our friends in Arizona as well, who have put uh, this wonderful food on the map that really, I think the cheese is a big backbone of, of, of the cuisine there. Um, Mom, you had a question. I'm sorry, Mom. Yeah, you know, my number one question is why don't Mexican cheeses made in the United States taste or sound or have the texture of those in Mexico? A lot has to do with the milk, Zarella, and uh, what the animals eat and uh, how the milk is treated. For instance, when I learned to make queso fresco and queso Oaxaca many years ago in Oaxaca, the the milk had a sour flavor because it was never refrigerated. It was milk from the cow. It was put in a can by the side of the road and people would come and collect it. And the milk was already sour when they started making the cheese. So those oh. cheeses have this inherent sourness because of that. And so what I did with my queso Oaxaca to try to replicate that flavor was rub it with lime juice. And so, you know, I always said lime juice and salt are in a margarita. And so I'll put it on my cheese, <laughs> my queso Oaxaca, and it gives it this perfect flavor. So I'm oh more my. creative than traditional. <laughs> no, but, but you, solved, you solved the thing. You know, at the ranch, we used to make cheese every day. We had, the, but they would leave the, the milk outside and then collect the nata, you know, that, that thick buttery, I don't know what you call it. The cream on the top. Yeah, and then we would they would make these cheeses in this in this board things made out of wood with cheesecloth, you know, pour, pour the curds in there. Well, that's how I learned to make it. I mean, and it was like where I went, they used a wooden washboard to break the cheese up and knead it. Exactly, I remember doing that. So the way I've always learned to make the cheese is to go back to the source and see how they are doing it traditionally and then bring that into my little cheese factory where we do everything by hand in Dallas. Uh, Mom, what do you think about the idea of of kind of letting our listeners kind of grasp the different varieties of Mexican cheeses that are available? And what are some of the most popular ones? Why don't you run them through since you've been working with cheese for so long? Yes, well, I've been working with Mexican cheese for a long time, as you know. My my uh, my proud partners for over ten years at Cacique, who do a really great job of of, of bringing Mexican cheeses to the masses. They've been doing it for over forty years. Um, but one of the things that I've I've learned from working with them is that queso fresco is actually the most popular cheese in Mexico. Did you know that, Miss Paula? Yes, I do. Yeah, it's the most popular cheese. So queso fresco, being that uh, whole milk, um, very spongy, soft at times neutral in flavor, but it's great as a topping for li- different little botanas or anything that's really made with masa or antojitos. It's a great little garnish, and queso fresco is wonderful on salads, as you can imagine. Then, you know, you move into some of the more popular ones, like, I'm not going to mention them all because there's, there's many, but you're talking about panela, which is that beautiful cheese that a lot of people think, uh, they get it confused if you're from different parts of Latin America. Panela is actually unrefined brown sugar. So when you say, I want panela... <clears throat> A Mexican knows that's cheese. Someone for us from other parts of, Mex- of Latin America will think of sugar as unrefined sugar. Can I ask something? What is the American cheese or the cheese that we can find here that is most resembles panela? It's creamy and it's soft and it doesn't melt. And it slices. 
I think that a farmer's cheese can be like that. Yeah. But, you know, you really can't find farmer's cheese anywhere anymore. So a a basket cheese, you could make something at home almost like a you would make ricotta and it could be like a panela. Yeah, well, I put up a, a link on my website for making cheese at home. Oh, that great. I, I, while doing research on the subject, I found this woman who had a recipe for making cheese at home. Yes, I have some cheese making at home recipes in my cookbook, the Cheese Lovers Cookbook and Guide. Well, uh huh. You can try some of those. Oh, I love that. <laughs> So we talked a little bit about the panela cheese. Wonderful, right? What, what is it akin to? Maybe a farmer's cheese, right? Something that, you know, it's a popular cheese. When you start going down, I want to I breach this subject because I think it's very dear to my mom, obviously, and, and where we're from. But the, the, the whole queso chihuahua phenomenon. Because people, I think, my mom, you know, is queso menonita, which you grew up with. Uh, but I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think when people think of queso chihuahua, when did the whole Monterey Jack thing come up? Because I, I feel that Monterey Jack is queso chihuahua, or am I, am I incorrect in saying that? Not to me. I don't think so. No? We had this wonderful person at the Mozzarella Company, Maurizio, who is from Mexico, and he felt like that the, there was no cheese that was like chihuahua that he knew growing up. And so he, he researched it, and we've been making this cheese called chihuahua. But chihuahua is now trademarked and you can't call the cheese chihuahua unless you're the company that trademarked it in the United States. Then we wanted to call it Menonita. Oh no, that was trademarked too. So now we call ours <laughs> Menonina. I mean, it's all, it's all the same thing, but we make a, a queso Menonina that's plain. It's like Chihuahua exactly. And then we make one with jalapeno in it and one with pimiento in it. And uh, you've got to try it. They are truly the way it used to be in Mexico. And I think the interesting story is that it got that name Mennonite cheese because of the Mennonites that that went from the uh, northern states of the United States down into Mexico and started making the cheese there for generations. And that's how it all came about. And it was in the state of Chihuahua. So, you know, I think the interesting thing is this cheese that they call in Mexico Manchego, but it's not like Manchego from Spain. That's more like a Monterey Jack or a cheddar to me. Yeah. You know that we lived at our property line in Chihuahua, when right across the property line was a huge Mennonite colony. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah, so we, we used to go get the butter, which was so rich and wonderful, and this bread that was so light and fluffy, and then we'd get mm. the cheese. It was wonderful. And it was the true, true thing. Yeah. Well, it, it went from being made by the Mennonites in small family farms to factories. And when you do that, it Absolutely. changes. Yeah. And how about the, the quesos de rancho? You know, my sister lives in, in Aguascalientes. And when she says, what should I send you? Send me a queso de rancho. And they're made at, at, at the ranches there. They're very similar to the ones that you put in the wooden things and, and, and then way down. Is that more like an asadero? Mm. No. Asadero is like mozzarella. 
asaderos la mozzarella, like in you know, El Paso. There's a company that makes them like tortillas. Yeah. Yes. La con um, dairy outside of El Paso in a little town called Fabens. And my dad would take us there and they have like a little petting zoo. So you'd go over there and touch and touch a, <laughs> a pet a bunch of dirty animals and then eat the cheese with your dirty hands. It, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. So it was very gamey, uh, gamey situation, <laughs> as you can imagine. But yeah. Another cheese that is popular in Mexico is requeson. Yeah, the requeson. Oh, yeah. Which is like ricotta. Yeah, yeah we used to make that with a huey. Yes, it's that word requeson means to re-cheese it. So, and that's what yeah. ricotta means is to recook. And so you're taking the whey and you're cooking it and you're producing a secondary yeah. cheese. La requeson, la ricotta, yes. same thing, absolutely. So when you guys, and I, I love requeson right on top of some beans. Oh, some nice black beans that are cooked down with some pork. I think that's wonderful. Especially when they come from Rancho Gordo. <laughs> oh, yes. I love those beans. I heard that program with the Rancho Gordo guy. <laughs> I like the requeson when you put it in a little tortilla and you fry it. I love that. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a, that's another whole category of cheese in Mexico. There are these frying yeah. cheeses. And... Um, Let's just touch really quickly, just to clarify, uh, the manchego cheese, right? The the great cheese that's usually made with sheep's milk cheese from Spain, from La Mancha region, um, which, by the way, is also where, you know, saffron is from in Spain. But you know what else is from uh, La Mancha, which is the man from La Mancha? Don Quixote. <laughs> yes, Don Quixote. <laughs> La man from La Mancha. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys, stick with me here, okay? Anyway, and and his and his Latin, what are, what are the and, and the windmills, windmills, which I've been I've been to, by the way. That's right, and Pancho. <laughs> yeah, Sancho Pancho. <laughs> so we, I just let, let me tell you just a quick story about windmills. When we used to go to the ranch from El Paso, we always used to stop at a place at a certain windmill where the water was coming out. You know, like from as windmills moved, and it was called the High Lonesome, and we would always have lunch there. The sandwiches that my mom took was white bread and bologna and Miracle Whip that we all hated. But in any case, that's I love windmills. Oh, yes, yeah, they're they're beautiful. There's a sense of a sense of life when you see a windmill. There's something very peaceful about it. Yeah. It means that the earth is getting nourishment. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com HRN. We all know that food businesses like yours are the backbone of your community. You make your neighborhood a more delicious place to be, and your customers are hungry for more. Food businesses across the country are working with Honeycomb to open new locations, buy equipment, and grow. You too can unlock fair growth capital by allowing your community to invest directly into your business. A crowdfunded loan from Honeycomb deepens your customer relationships and gives them a whole new way to engage with your business. You'll also get access to thousands of local investors in the Honeycomb network who are passionate about seeing food businesses succeed. Honeycomb is the community bank of the 21st century. Fair rates, flexible terms, and no prepayment penalties. Honeycomb has proven to be an invaluable growth tool for all kinds of businesses, 
from James Beard-nominated restaurants and upstart food trucks to organic farms and award-winning breweries. Best of all, with Honeycomb, you're paying back your neighbors, not big banks. To learn more about how Honeycomb Credit can help grow your business while building vibrant, financially empowered neighborhoods, visit honeycombcredit.com HRN. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based consumers in your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier with no cholesterol and less saturated fat. And it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble. Great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also a frozen pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres calls Just Egg mind-blowing and Bon Appetit says, It's so good, I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st slash hrn. So, look, we talked a little bit about some of the cheeses. I think one of the cheeses that I think I would like to talk about is we talked about some of the big, the, the most popular ones, right? So we're talking queso chihuahua. We, we talked a little bit about the panela. Um, also, let's, let, and now we want to talk about cotija. This is the one that we haven't really talked about. I like to call cotija the seasoning cheese because it has that little salt, and, and, and I just love using it as a seasoning because uh, it, it has a bracing, bracing salt to it that I think is wonderful. Let's talk a little bit about Cotija. And your first exposure to it, uh, Paula, please. Well, Cotija, to me, is uh, a pressed cheese that's aged, and that's how it becomes old. You could start out with a queso fresco and age it yourself and let it become Cotija. My favorite way is on the street mm. corn, the elote, on the stick when they put the mayonnaise and the cotija on top of the roasted corn. That is just fabulous. That is heaven right there, for yeah. sure. Well, I, I think we should use this this reference to state that in Mexico, we don't have dishes that are totally covered in melted cheese unless it's a queso yes. fundido. And nachos, you know, when I was growing up in Fort Worth, the best nachos were at a restaurant called Joe T. Garcia. I don't know if you've been there, but it's an old-fashioned Mexican restaurant. Have you been there? Joe T. Garcia's. And they... They had these wonderful, they would fry the tortillas and then they would stick them in the oven and it would just be a little sprinkling of of cheddar cheese and then jalapenos on top. Not just gooped up the way they do it at the ballparks now. That's not at all Mexican. It's not even Tex-Mex. It's a travesty is what it's called. It's garbage. Um, Yeah, what's happened? (laughs) The nacho wheels have come off. (laughs) So, yeah, Mom, you were going to say, I'm sorry? 
Now that that you know, repeating something that, that happened the other day because everybody's talking about this birria with cheese. The the queso birrias, the quesadilla. The queso birrias, yeah. So they have cheese and birria in the, in the and everybody's laying claim to having created that, as well <laughs> as well as everybody says that they created the the nachos in Juarez, let's say yeah. for instance. <laughs> It's funny how these things get started. Yep. Uh, let me tell yeah. you, they, they also say that they invented the margarita at the Cucamonga in Juarez as well. So I don't know what to believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember, the Caesar salad comes from yeah. Baja, yeah, California. From well, that's actually a great segue. Thank you very much, Paula. That was wonderful <laughs> on your part. Let's talk a little bit about the famous Caesar salad and and, and, it's, and its kind of invention because it utilizes Parmesan, right? It's It's... People think that the, the Caesar yes. salad was invented in in Italy, which we know now was invented by Alex Cesar Cardini, who actually, from my understanding, was a World War One pilot who settled in Tijuana and worked in a lot of restaurants and, and kind of started the whole pomp and circumstance of tableside Caesars. And uh, that's kind of how it came about. So um, I, I've, I've actually made, I used to make it in my restaurant, Centrico, to order, but I would use manchego, instead of Parmesan. What are your thoughts on the Caesar salad? Ladies, take it away. Well, I like the croutons. <laughs> Can we talk about cheeses, please, ladies? You know what I mean? Maybe like something about that. It's just, well, it's just a combination. Well, oh, it, it's traditional that it would be Parmigiano. But, you know, so many people, there's yeah. so many variations now I on know. the Caesar salad. There's the Southwestern Caesar salad, and there are all these different ones. I mean, the Southwestern. Pudges. Well, that one has fried uh, polenta croutons instead of uh bread croutons and you know it's just with a little chili in it and everything but i love the saltiness of the anchovy that to me is the secret of that dish yes and, yes. and and the interesting thing also is to talk about the the raw egg that's in it and of course now they tell you that people with a compromised immune systems and pregnant people and you know, cannot have raw egg. So they might be using pasteurized eggs that are that are still runny. And, you know, mm. it's not the same thing. Well, no, what I used to do at the restaurant is I would coddle the egg. So I would just kind of cook it really yes. softly for 30, 40 seconds just to set the yolk. And then I would cool it down, and that's what I would use to, to make my, my, my base. Well, now with the sous vide, yeah. it, you can... Do different things. Absolutely. What is a sous vide? I mean, everybody mentions it. Well, basically, you're cooking in a bag, mom, and you're regulating the temperature. Um, and the idea is initially was born from taking bigger cuts of meat, and you kind of accelerating the slowly the cooking process by cooking the internal temperature, and then the idea is to sear the outside and have something that's really tender and beautiful. But you're basically cooking in a bag. Yeah. Uh, you can cook eggs. It, to a certain temperature, and they're just always perfect when you cook them in the bag in the sous vide. So, yeah, well, I wouldn't eat them because I hate any runny okay. eggs. Oh, yeah. I love them. Okay, <laughs> oh, no. All right, mom. Yeah. How about the chile, the, the queso enchilado? Do you do you do you sell that? No, we don't. Oh, tell us about it. It's the queso de rancho, any a certain kind of porous cheeses, and it has a a, a whole layer of chili paste or chili powder. Inside? No, the whole crust, the whole crust. 
Well, we do some, we do have a cheese like that. It's a goat's milk cheese. It's a firm aged cheese. And then we coat the exterior with a puree of ancho chilies and dry mm. it on there. So then we would have a, a an enchilado cheese. Very nice. Well, what is the name? What is the name of that cheese? That's cheese? called uh, it's called Monte Formaggio, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Monte like a mountain, Formaggio like a cheese. Yeah, <laughs> you're adorable. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about you know I don't like we don't like to bring up the pandemic for anything, but I think as it pertains to what's happening right now for, with cheese prices and milk. I think it's important. We started touching upon this a little bit before we started recording. You know, I know my friends at Cacique have felt a really big, a big punch as far as pricing with milk. Everything has gone up, basically. Can you talk a little bit about how that's affected your business, Paula, and the, and the overall price of milk around? The price of milk varies according to supply mm-hmm. and demand. That is the one thing. And the price of milk is set by the government. There's uh, an an entity called the Milk Marketing Board, and they uh, control the price of milk. It's interesting that cheese factories buy the milk before they know even how much the milk costs because you get the billing for the milk after you've bought it, so you don't even know what your raw cost of your ingredients are. When you think about making making cheese, it's all milk. I mean, that's all it is, is condensed milk. So these high prices are going to affect cheese costs. And I think that uh, we're also going to see the price of meat rise. Everything is rising now, I think, after the pandemic. And uh, I know there's been more cooking at home and less cooking in restaurants, but it's still not the volume of food being sold that was pre-pandemic, I don't think. What do you think? No, absolutely not. I think that's gonna. I think it's gonna change restaurants completely. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing is that people. New York's almost all open now. Finally. So it's a, it's a it's it's such a welcome relief to be able to go out and and entertain and that kind of stuff. I know. So Paula, if so, if if people want to get your cheeses, you have a big web uh, business. Yes, I have a website. It's Mozco, M-O-Z-Z for mozzarella, co for company, mozzarella company, Mm -hmm. mozco.com. And you can buy our cheeses online. We have all these Mexican cheeses, queso fresco, queso blanco. We have a queso blanco with chilies and green chilies and epizote, which is really delicious. And we have the Oja Santa. We have the Menonina. We have an Italian cheese called cachota, which has different chilies, ancho chilies in it. And uh, we have delicious cheeses. And they're great for cooking, great for melting, great for snacking. We have riquezone. And, and Paula, do you currently, are you aligned with any retailers in, in Texas at all, like a, like a Central Market or H-E-B? Yes, we sell at Central Market and we sell at HEB. We sell at Tom Thumb. We sell at some of the Kroger's in the, you know, Murray's has a kiosk in, Murray's from New York has a kiosk in the Kroger stores. We're in all of those. We sell at Whole Foods and we sell, we have a little uh, shop that you've been to, Arone, in front of the factory. And, and do you sell in New York? Uh, I Not so much anymore. Uh, things pretty much got closed down with the pandemic. Yeah. And will, the, will you reopen to New York? 
Oh, I hope so. I hope My so. My mom is being a little bit selfish, Paula. She wants your cheeses, is what she's trying to say. <laughs> well, you know, I've heard that people send you the cheeses so that you can try them, especially after we've talked about them so yeah. much. I know that. that that's <laughs> a, well, see, that's what Steve Sandler did. He said there's a whole sampler thing. And so, and so did the people from Melissa's because it was great because we cooked, I cooked with the quince and I cooked with all the stuff they sent me. So, you know, for, for future, I think we should ask the people, do you want to, we're going to talk about your products. That maybe you could send us some samples. So, yes, yeah, so that you can become familiar. <laughs> exactly. That's a very good idea. It's great. Well, you know, one cheese we didn't talk about is queso Oaxaca yeah. and oh. casillo. You know, that is uh, that's a big Mexican cheese, and especially for cooking. Uh, I went to Mexico to learn to make queso Oaxaca. I had been hearing about it, hearing about it, and uh, I went with a friend, and we would go to the market every morning and find these ladies who were making the cheese out in their villages and then make an appointment to go out and visit them. And that's how I learned it. And my to my amazement, I realized that queso Oaxaca is a form mm-hmm. of mozzarella. And so it's it's stretched and strung just like the mozzarella, but instead of forming it into a ball, it's made into a long ribbon and then wrapped up, salted and wrapped up and wound up like a ball of yarn. And it is, uh, you know, you, you can take the the pieces of queso Oaxaca and tear them apart into shreds with your hand by just pulling on them. Yeah, there's a, a dish that they make. It's a salpicón, which is like a salad of strings of, of Oaxaca cheese. Oh, it's so delicious and so salty. And sometimes, it, it, is it correct to say that queso de hebra is also queso Oaxaca? Have you seen that, Mom? Queso de hebra and yes. Oaxaca are the same thing or, or not? Well, I don't know. Not, you know. I think Oaxaca cheese is a queso de hebra, yeah. but not all queso de hebra are Oaxaca, because it just means that it, that it that it forms a, um, it's yeah. pulled. That yeah. is pulled. Yeah. See, at the ranch, every lunch we they would make a sadero in a in a black uh, iron skillet, and they would bring it to the table and serve it to us with this big long spoon into freshly made corn tortillas, because at lunch we had corn tortillas, and at night we had flour tortillas. So they oh. would bring it, and it was just, I remember them pulling it like yeah. that and putting it in. My mom says they were all fat. So one of my mom's great parenting, <laughs> uh, parenting <laughs> techniques is body shaming, is, is body shaming. Um, so that's, that's one of the things my mom's really good at when we were growing up. I'm still... Seeing my therapist about it. Actually. No, that's not true. You were gorgeous. Yeah. You were gorgeous. So I never, so I never body shamed you. In fact, you know, I, I, I just got a, a beautiful article that I wrote about my mom at this website called Eat Darling Eat, and I said in my family it would be Don't Eat Darling Don't Eat. You know, because my grandmother was obsessed with our weight. And anyway, so people should check out this article. I call it Mexican Geisha. And it was all the how my mom taught us manners and how we used to eat. And it was just, it's a really sweet article. So hopefully they'll have a chance to, to do that. Yeah. Well, talk a little bit about what are some of the books that you have. Talk to us about upcoming projects. I know that I, I touched a little bit on the intro about 
uh, Viaje de Lesione, right? So talk a little bit about what you got going on right now as far as projects. Well, uh, originally in uh, 2000, I wrote my first cookbook, The Cheese Lover's Cookbook and Guide. And that was just a pivotal moment for me because it was when I uh, started going around the country giving cooking classes in different cooking schools. Zarella used to do it too. It's the way we sold cookbooks. And it was very fun and chefs would who were my customers would cook my recipes and I just loved it. But that parlayed into uh, teaching cooking in France. I would take people to a cooking school in the Southwest of France in the Dordogne region. And uh, I did it for 10 years and I loved it so much. Uh, But then I decided I should really be in Italy because that was my major love. So I started taking people to a villa in Tuscany in the Chianti region, and we spend a week exploring the uh, exploring the food and the wines and the the wonderful characters who are all my friends and the artists. And so uh, we cook at home at the villa a few nights and we go out to eat a few nights and it's just a wonderful week. Uh, the villa is just south of Florence and it's it's gorgeous. And I also uh, take people to Puglia, which is down in the heel of Italy. And we explore the wonderful food down there. There's a lot of seafood and uh, it's where there are more olive trees than any other region in Italy. Some of the olive trees are thousands of years old and so big around, it would take 10 people with their arms reached out to go around the trees. Uh, And that's a wonderful part. And so, uh, and then I do cruises and I do trips to Ireland. I just do all kinds of things because I love to travel. And so that's what I have not been able to do for the past year. So where can people sign up to go on one of these culinary uh, endeavors with you where do they get the information? You know, what are some upcoming trips? How much can people plan ahead, et cetera, Paula? Because we want people to well, join you. It looks like the first time we're going to be able to go will be this September. And I usually go to Tuscany in uh, September and in May. The information is on the Mozzarella Company website. There is a link uh, at the bottom of the opening page of our website that says travel and that's where you click and you see our trips. Stephen Pauls and I do uh, cruises, and we're planning to do a cruise in November of this year uh, to the Christmas markets between Basel and Amsterdam, going along oh. the Rhine. Is I hope you'll come, Zarella. It's just going to be wonderful. And uh, I'm we're just looking forward to the world reopening and uh, our being able to travel again. So it's been fun, fun, fun. I love it. Well, I found that that the pandemic for me was very good because I got a lot done. You know, this... (laughs) I made a lot of excuses not to do things. (laughs) No, no. It's it's been very good because, see, I spent a lot of time at home anyway. So I'm working on this other project and, and then the, the new website coming up. and That's great. And then this, this podcast, which are the greatest source of my fun right now and yes. fulfillment. And, you know, we get to meet people like you and try to explore, you know, the areas for people that, that they want to know, they learn. Yes. You know, so we have to figure out a way of getting some inter, interplay with the, with the listeners as well. 
Well, it's very fun. I I have listened to your podcast on my walks. I take a lot of walks. And so I would just be right along with you, enjoying all the guests and all your stories and everything. I've just Well, my mom has done a beautiful job of curating the guest list. I think my mom has been very adamant about having not only experts, but but, uh, authorities that have a point of view outside of what the subject matter is. Because anyone can just talk about a subject matter at nausea, but do you, ha- do you have that little sort of flair? Is there something that's contrasting about your personality that we want to bring out? So I think uh, kudos to my mom for making sure that you're staying on top of all this with our guest list. We're only going to get better at it. We're only going to bring to the show greater and amazing people like Paula and Hopefully we'll have a chance to have like a little reunion show where we can maybe open it up to having um, a big forum with some of our favorite guests. I think that would be something fun to do down the road. Yeah, no, it's just, it's a it's a real privilege. You know, we have coming up, we're doing one on the co- comparison of uh, Juarez and, and El Paso cooking. And I, I came to the conclusion, and maybe you can say whether I'm right or wrong. I think what differentiates the food of the North and Tex-Mex from the regular Mexico is that the, the beef, the, the type of chili, you know, the green and red chili, and, and the flour, the flour tortillas. What do you think? Well, yes, I think so. But I, I always felt like there was more uh, European influence in Mexico City. But now I realize that it's it's more with the people of the different regions, Michoacan and Veracruz and Oaxaca. It's it's more regional. And I, that's what I love is the different regions of Mexican cooking. And we don't know anything about that in Texas. I mean, we open a Mexican restaurant of that variety and it it fails because they're more expensive and people are used to looking at Tex-Mex as a cheap food. And uh, it's it's really different. But I hope that things like that can change and people can become more sophisticated. But it's a hard, hard thing to conquer is the uh, thought of... Tex-Mex being a cheap food and then having traditional regional Mexican food as another option. You, you see the great work that Hugo Ortega is doing in Houston. He's a huge proponent. Yes, he has I a Oaxacan-based restaurant. Um, I, I want to call it, it's called Xochitl or... Origen, Origen. It's out there, Paula, to your point. I think, I think the food community is becoming a lot more savvy as far as Mexican regional cuisine, understanding what some of those contributions are as far as those iconic dishes that we, we've come to love as opposed to having a homogenized or kind of all-encompassing Mexican restaurant. I think that's where we're going. Um, and, and I think it's going to be a welcome thing. So, Yes, I think it, in Dallas, it's an uphill battle and it always has been. Uh, Monica and Joanne did Ciudad 20 or 25 years ago. It was Fantastic, but it didn't survive, and so many of those have not survived in Dallas. Oh. Yeah, because people want cheese. People want melted cheese, and in, in regional <laughs> restaurants, they won't find a lot of melted cheese unless it's queso fundido. So, which of your cheeses is the best to use in queso fundido? 
Well, I think that probably the Cachota, C-A-C-I-O-T-T-A, the one we have one that has ancho chilies in it. And we have another one that I call La Cocina that has five different chilies and cilantro and garlic in it. And those are fantastic melting cheeses. Uh, One thing about... uh, People need to think about how they need to add something into a melting cheese, even fondue. It would mean a little acid or a little starch to keep the cheese from separating. Because if they heat the cheese too hot, you know how the the fats separate out. So it needs to be a little bit of an emulsification. So you add what? A little bit of acid, like a little tiny bit of wine or lemon juice, or you could also add just a little bit of flour or cornstarch, and that will keep the the cheese from separating. Fantastic tip, Paula. That's what we call takeaway in the in, in the in food TV world. We love that. <laughs> no, but let's talk a little bit about the idea of the queso fundido versus queso dip. And your the cheese dip, because I think that's important yeah. to mention because. Queso fundido is very traditional, where queso dip, and, and we struggle with this at my restaurant, I was very adamant of not putting queso dip on the menu. And my partners were like, I don't, we have to have queso dip. I'm like, we have queso fundido. Why do we need queso dip? And then I finally broke, and it's become one of our top three sellers, the queso dip. But I still have the, the queso fundido on the menu as a point of contention. I love queso fundido. Well, are you making the queso dip out of Velveeta? No, we're not. <laughs> we're not. Velveeta. We're using, we're, we're basically breaking down a queso chihuahua and, and doing that. <laughs> well, you, when I was growing up, you made, you made queso dip. We just called it, I don't know what we called it, but uh, we made it with Velveeta and Rotel, and that's really pretty good. <laughs> Well, we, we used to make it in a, in El Paso with cottage cheese, Velveeta, uh, canned jalapenos, and celery. I don't know why. And then uh, and chopped onion. It sounds awful. But it's- <laughs> we'll have to try that. <laughs> well, I love that queso fundido with mushrooms. Yeah. Is, is cottage cheese considered a cheese? Yes and no. Uh, It's very interesting. We wanted to make cottage cheese at the mozzarella company. And uh, we were told that we had to be a grade A milk producing plant to be able to have a license to make cottage cheese. And so then we we became that. And we then they told us we could not be making any other cheese while we were making it. (laughs) One thing after another, then we couldn't call it cottage cheese. So I named it curds and cream <laughs> I did everything it was you know, delicious you, I mean I made these curds and then I the dressing was creme fraiche and salt it was delicious but you know it didn't it didn't fly Paula, you will not be defeated if someone says there's a trademark on it you're gonna find a way around it I love it persistence pays off yeah my mom used to at the ranch we couldn't hardly ever get avocados but when we got them my mom, to stretch them, would mix them with cottage cheese to make a guacamole. Uh-huh. <laughs> she says, uh-huh. Well, that's, your mother was, I loved your mother. <laughs> she was creative. But <laughs> she told you what to do. She was great. Remember <laughs> when she went and cut up all the squash blossoms at Stephen's party? 
I don't know that, but I remember she'd sit on the front row when you were giving cooking classes at Stephen's restaurant, and she would correct everything you said. It, it was fun until she she lost her hearing. At that point, it wasn't fun anymore. <laughs> but anyway, that was it was it was a pleasure to be. I really missed those classes. You know, when we were all coming up. Now a lot of the the young people don't have all the stories that we have. They have their own stories. So oh, I know. this is why I'm inviting all my friends to be here to share their history, their anecdotes, you know, their specialty and all that. So that's why we're so happy to have you here today, Paula. Oh, I mean, it's, just- it's, it's great to see you all and to be with you and hear your voices. You're so genteel and up and up all the time. I mean, I, there's not nobody nicer that, than you, yes. Paula. Oh, Paula, you, 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 your joie de vivre is infectious. Well, um, you, you have such a positive outlook. You've, you've you've been such a huge contribution to the food world. You found your niche. You have be, become this pillar uh, for the artisanal cheese making movement. And we, we, we couldn't tell you how grateful we are to have your presence mm-hmm. and share all your expertise with us and our listeners and... We just we're, we're beyond we're beyond grateful. Um, I'm a huge fan of you, as you know, for many years. And I think one one thing we're going to talk about next time, hopefully, Mom, is bring Stephen Piles, Mark Miller, Dean, Robert, and do a whole thing about oh, yeah. the Texas the, the Texas Southwest movement because I think it's going to be very important to sort of bridge those those ideals of how this food and this cuisine was born because I don't want that that regionality being lost with the new generation. So thank you, Paula Lambert, for joining us. Thank you. I just loved it. Uh, please make sure that you pick out new episodes of Cooking in Mexican from A to Z uh, on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you guys. I'm your host, Aaron Sanchez. And I'm Sarela Martinez. We'll see you guys soon. Hasta luego. Ciao. Besos. Ciao, honey. Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without your support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Entrañas